Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris from Surf and Sales, and I'm here with another episode with my good friend and co-host Scott Lees. And we are super excited to be speaking with a very well-known woman uh, and author of several books. I'm going to read out the titles before I even introduce her. Uh, we also want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Lead 411. If you're looking for or deeper engagement and better intent data, as well as direct dial numbers and cell phone numbers and a cool plugin that can work with LinkedIn, be sure to check out Lead 411. But our author today has written books called The Heart of Authentic Selling, Sell Without Selling Your Soul. Scott needs to read that one. Consultation. It's too late. It's too late. Consultations that convert and the Rainmaker Mindset. So uh, without any further ado, Liz Wendling, uh, thanks for joining us today. We're super excited. And I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Sure, sure. Richard, Richard it's the Rainmaking Mindset for attorneys. Yes. Specifically. <laughs> uh, I need to get that book too for you. So. Um, that's actually now, Richard started us there by throwing me under the bus already. <laughs> let's, let's let's start with um, what what compels you to not just write one book but a second, a third, and a fourth. I get asked this question periodically, and so I want to hear your answer and, and what your response is. Wow, that's a great question, and uh, you get that a lot. I've never gotten that. Uh, I well, I started writing my first book was The Unstoppable Businesswoman. I want to say that was nine years ago, 10 years ago, when we weren't even talking about social selling and, and how to actually sell using technology. And fast forward to the last three years when I wrote two books for attorneys and then two books for uh, professionals and entrepreneurs and business owners. So I kind of split myself and my business into two lanes and I do work with law firms and attorneys, teaching them the skill they didn't learn in law school. And that is how to position themselves to win more business, how to talk to people in a way that would compel them to say yes to them versus their competition. And the mindset around selling and, a, and a, an attorney having to sell was, you know, I don't do it, that's not what I do, I didn't go to law school for that. And they quickly realized if they didn't understand the nuances and the skills of moving someone to take action with them, that they were gonna leave a lot of money on the table and their law degree was gonna go to waste. So I help them with their mindset and their skill set. And then I write about just selling in the new world right now for business owners and entrepreneurs. And that's my last two books. So even though attorneys think that I'm teaching them something different, I'm really teaching the same thing. It's how to be a human being, how to talk to people in a way they want to be talked to, how to treat people in a way that makes not only you feel good, but it's also being received in that way. And I just have a lot to say, and I couldn't, I can't stop my fingers from typing. So now, now, how many books have you actually written, Liz? Six total. Good grief. <laughs> what, is your, what is your mindset to focus? Do you like goal out? I'm writing a book a year at this point. Like, she cranked out two in one year, she said. I did two in one year, and they came out of me so. Uh, I was so inspired that there, it was joyful. Every day I would wake up, I didn't have a process per se, but I woke up every morning with something coming through me that was just coming out of my fingertips. So my, the first book I wrote in January was a book for women and it was a sales book for women, Sell Without Selling Your Soul, because so many women resist. 
and hate and avoid the topic of sales. Not just, I mean, there's a lot of people that resist it, but for some reason, women more. But then I had a few men read that book and say, and they said to me, well, everything in there I could use too. So I took a lot of that information and made it a little bit more specific to men and women. And that, and now, now I'm on a, a writing hiatus. I have said what I needed to say. <laughs> if you, if you're in the zone, how long does it take you to write the book? Not necessarily design the cover and all that stuff, uh -huh. you know, like just getting the content in a printable format. How long does that take you? Just out of To curiosity? get to my editor about, because we always set deadlines. So about 120 days, I give myself about four months. Sometimes I, I, get, I always say, give me an extra 30 to play with. But when I'm in that zone, there's such a joy and excitement of the writing process that I'm, I'm pulled toward my computer every day versus feeling like it's a daunting process. I made a plan. I have to have this done. I, I, we have to cut things out because I write so much. Yeah, that's fascinating. Where, where did your business mindset come from? Like where, you know, when you were growing up, were you always making the lemonade stand? Were you, you know, like we just, we actually just interviewed my 12 year old son the other day uh, and talked about his business acumen. Where did yours come from? Well, my mom and dad will tell you it was kindergarten when I convinced six of my classmates to, we couldn't, there was, we walked into school or tried to walk into school and the door was locked or we didn't even think to try the other door. So I said, all right, well, then we should just all go home. We can play in my backyard. And we all walked home from school. I knocked on the front door and my mother's looking at us like, what are you all doing here? And she said, that was my first sales job right there. I convinced. I, I just took that as that my first big deal was in kindergarten. That, that was, was it. It really was. And, but I didn't know that at the time. I mean, for years people said, oh, you have such a, you know, a strong personality or you can talk to anybody. And I never, I, I mean, it, yes, it helped me when I had sales jobs, but I never really thought I would do it for myself. I never thought I would be a business owner. And when I was a business owner and for myself and everything was dependent on me, everything, not just sitting when I worked for a company sitting in an office and they took care of the lights and the computers, I was doing everything. And I knew then that my mindset from when I was a child was going to help me because I was very focused, very driven. I could, I can do tasks and stay on them. I didn't get distracted and that has helped me. Yeah quite well in my business. That's a, that's a huge superpower yes. in, in my mind. I, mean, I'm, I feel like I'm fairly similar. Like I get locked in and it's easy for me to get things done and crank out projects and whatnot. I mean, I live with three people with ADHD and I am not like them at, <laughs> at all. It, it, is, it is tricky. And, and that's the thing, Scott, I, I am self-diagnosed ADHD, and, but yet I figured out a way to work around that because I was, in the beginning when I started my business, I let that be a good excuse. Oh, I just can't focus at yeah. home. I can't that's work. That's the way I am. Yeah. Yes, that's the way I am. And I realized, wow, I could either make excuses for not being successful or I could make a path and a process and a plan to be successful. And 13 years later, that plan has truly helped me. And what, what was your, go ahead, Richard. I was just going to say, when did you fall in love with sales? Like, you know, just like if you think back in your career, 
when did you really fall in love with it? It wasn't until I was able to start teaching people how to sell. So it was more when I started my business. I always liked it and I always knew I was good at it, but it wasn't until I started to take what I knew and what I learned and the nuances that helped me and then started teaching others. And then they started get, having success from that. Did that? So I, I just did what I was good at and I didn't know that I was gonna fall in love with it. So were you ever a manager beforehand? No, I never managed anyone. Okay. So Con conscious choice and decision. Is there a reason for that? You're nodding your head in such a way that makes me think there's more to the story there. Yeah, I just, I always, I, I, I this is going to sound terrible. I just don't like working with anybody else. <laughs> I just don't. You know, I'm hands down. I, I, I like doing projects with people that have a deadline. But to work day in and day out, because I don't, this is my mindset, I don't believe anybody works as fast as I do, can grasp a concept better than I can. And I don't want to waste time. I don't want to slow down trying to teach someone in my business how to do my business. So how, how did you know it was the right time for you to stop working for somebody else and to go into business for yourself? I think oh, that, this, that this, was easy. <laughs> I got I laid off. Got laid off. Well, this is really important and really relevant because there's about 40 million people or some crazy number who are yeah. just like, just like you in, in some sense, like they maybe have lost their job right now. And people are talking all the time about starting side businesses and side hustles or going in, you know, uh, all in on your own business. And you did that. So talk about that thought process and how you pulled that off. That's ex Thank you for asking that. I haven't thought about that in a long time because when I got laid off, that was uh, when with the real estate bubble and the, the what was that? Two thousand eight. Less. I mean, not the bubble. The real estate when when everything collapsed. Yeah, the, crash, the crash. Yeah. The yeah. crash. Yeah. And in the back of my mind, I always thought, hmm, maybe someday I'll be an entrepreneur. Maybe someday. But I had a great job with benefits and an office. And I, all I had to do was show up. And when I was done, I was done. But there was always something in the back of my head that said that that, that was a possibility. And when I got laid off, I got severance. And I collected unemployment at the same time. And I thought, I don't know that this opportunity is ever going to present itself again. I'm gonna try it, what have I got to lose? I had savings, thank God, that I was smart enough to have savings, and I knew that if I gave it a year or 18 months full force with that focus I already talked about, then I'd be unstoppable. And I, I didn't start out of the gate all that well, and I spent more money than I should have. I believed in all of the gurus that were out there even back then that said, you need my program to be successful. You need this platform to be successful, and I, spent more money than I want to admit on the external stuff instead of going internally and saying, first figure out what you really want to do, what you're good at, what you need to hire out, what you else do you need to learn. But grabbing for every shiny object, object is the biggest mistake that I made because I wound up blowing through a lot of money. But I, I, I didn't call them failures. I just, I, what, what could I do? It's like the money's gone. Some of it worked, some didn't, but I took risks. And I realized, I always told myself I wasn't a risk taker. Well, that was BS because I took a lot of risk by plunking down 10 grand here and 15 grand there. That's risky when you don't have any money coming in. And now I realize that I am a little bit of a risk taker and, and that's what's helped me as well, to be able to look at something and say, you have nothing to lose here. What if it really works? 
So for those people who are out there thinking, I can't start a business in the worst economy, I thought that too. People thought I was crazy, but it, I believe your thought process controls so much of the outcome that you get. It's funny, I went through the exact same thing when I started my business in 2012, I think. The same, I went through a layoff, company hugged me out the door, as I said, mm -hmm. with the severance package, did the unemployment thing, and was sort of futzing around through interviews, not getting anywhere, and then finally someone asked if I could help, and I said yes, and it just sort of opened the door um, from that perspective. I wonder, we, we talk a lot about um, financial stuff and giving, you know, particularly different generations financial advice, and typically it's around options, and you know, you know, as, you know, as an SDR, should I expect options? What should I expect? And all that stuff, but you talked about you had savings. What, what was your plan in life where you recognized I'm going to start saving. Here's the percent I'm going to put away. Uh, I don't want to know about dollars, but I want to talk about the mindset of that and, and how you set yourself up for that. Cause I think it's something that's not talked about a lot. Well, I had something pretty horrible happen to me money wise. I had a financial planner who I trusted truly, truly deeply trusted. In fact, I dated him too. And he had me sign paperwork, but I didn't realize I was signing paperwork that gave away my power of attorney. And he had full access to every dollar I ever had. And he took every penny of it. Oh my and, goodness. Yeah. And that's when I, this was 26 years ago. It, but I had my grandfather had us like a little bit of uh, when he died and that was savings. I was not going to touch that. I promised I wouldn't touch that. So, but that money I saw starting to grow and I thought, oh, if I start saving, that would be awesome. So I started saving. Well, then I needed a financial planner, hired him, and but I blame myself because I didn't do my due diligence. There was something about him I didn't trust, and I but I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it, but it was my intuition talking to me loud and clear saying, run like hell, and I didn't. And that's what proved to me that I, I've got an intuition that is so finely tuned now that I do listen to it. I go there first, and I, not that I don't trust people, but I also do my due diligence internally before I say yes to doing anything. Share, share that internal piece. Like, what is it you're now looking for? Because again, I think, you know, I don't care how old we are, we can all use a little advice there. So what are the things that are sort of make your, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stand up kind of stuff? For me, it's a feeling like I can go one way or another. I call it my hell yes or my heck no. And sometimes things feel so right and so aligned. And I have to ask myself, am I making too much of an emotional decision or is there a little bit of logic in there? How am I lining up my head and my heart to actually look beyond the decision and say, all right, what happens if you do this? What happens if you make the investment? What are you looking for to actually happen? I, I, I play it out in my head first but I will always go to my heart and say, what does this feel like? Does this feel like a, uh, I'm not sure, or a, this is a hell yes. Uh, so it, for me, it's internally, but it's spending some time, not making rash decisions anymore and actually saying, wait a second, uh, is this too good to be true? Is this your knight in shining armor? Is this a business wrap, uh, a, somebody uh, bringing me something that sounds too good to be true? I wanna know, I wanna ask more questions. And then I want to listen to my head, my heart, and my gut. Because I know we have a, there's a brain. They, they, they talk about the, the, the brain is a brain. And then your heart has a brain. And then your gut has a brain. 
start listening to all of them, not just what's what's going on in your head. Well, and just so now, like if, if you had a traditional job, right? And granted, we understand it's chaotic with COVID. Yeah. What are you trying to save 5% a month, 10% a month? Like what kind of advice do you give? You know, and, and I don't know, do you have kids? I don't, no. no. So let's say you had some 20 something year old kids or teenagers. What advice would you give them about saving for the rainy day? At the very least, 10%. First, pay yourself first, pay all your bills first, get yourself right, 10%, and then the party can start after that. But there has to be, there has to be a you-focused part of your business or your life to say, this is more important. Yeah, that nice car is wonderful, but an $800 car payment could actually be $800 in the bank. Keep what you're driving until it dies. And so it's little things like that. Because I used to think I wanted the nicest house or the nicest car. But then I, w I was test driving a Lexus and actually wound up with a Toyota because it was, I think, $376 a month. So I took that $376 and put it in the bank anyway, every single month, and saved that money per year. And I still have the car today. It's a 2004. <laughs> And, and that money is still being taken out of my account. So I set myself up to have money come out of my accounts before I even see it. Before it's, I don't have to write a check for anything. It just naturally comes out. And sometimes I jack it up a little bit. If there's too much in my bank account, I, I maybe make a, a double mortgage payment or something like that. But I'm always paying down that stuff and making sure that I save. You, you written a book entirely for women or for sales what are you what are you telling women these days who are thinking about getting into sales and and those who have been in sales for a while and are still kind of you know struggling and, and running up against the same you know discriminatory practices and all this kind of stuff i'm just curious of of how you're viewing these two cohorts of of women in sales right now? Well, I hear a lot, especially from women, although I hear men use this terminology, they'll say, I don't serve, I don't sell, I serve. I don't sell anything, I serve all day long. And what they're, and a lot of times what they're saying that, but the energy of them saying that is the energy of, I don't wanna go anywhere near a sales conversation. So what I'll do is just educate people. I won't understand how people make decisions. I won't take the time to listen and learn about the sales process or what someone needs. I'll just show up and serve with that servant energy, which there's two ways to show up and be a servant. There's showing up as a salesperson who is a servant who, who listens in a way that is is listening for what's really the problem, not just how can I how can I serve, um, and what I mean by that is is showing up aligned. People don't want a servant; they want someone who's aligned, someone who can say, you know what, you just told me two sep two different stories. Which one is true? Or po poking the bear a little bit, pushing them out of the status quo asking those tough questions, being okay with being with another human being who called you up and said, I wanna find out more about your services. I haven't closed a sale in six months, but poking around the edges to find out what's really going on versus just stepping into that, I'll do anything for you servant mode. I'll, yep, you want some more water? I'll go grab some more water. There's a different energy of servant energy, I'll do anything for you versus the servant energy that I'm aligned with you getting what you need, or let's just part ways. 
So how, so how are you coaching women specifically to change that energy from pure servitude towards more active selling? What, what like real tangible, like, Okay, so it's, it's teaching them, first of all, their language that they're using. So they're reaching out to people and they're saying, I know you're busy, so I don't want to bother you. And they're, right. they're com already coming out with, I'm a lesser person than yes. you are. I hate, I hate that so much. I'm so glad you're calling this out right now. I mean, word, we all know words matter tremendously. But the, the, that exact phrase, oh, I know you're busy, Liz. I'm sorry to bother you. I'm yeah. always telling people, cut that shit out of your face. Yes. What are you doing? Oh my God, this person's time is not more valuable than yours. You're already putting them up on a pedestal. No. Yeah, I'm so glad you called that out. And then right there, you're, that, what that tells me is you're not aligned. You're misaligned with someone. And you've got to work that much harder to get to that place where I tell people you are two human beings at the same level coming to a conversation. And you, but you have to believe you are first. And if you're using language that, that says, you know, I know you're busy or I don't mean to bother you. I, I don't want to come across as a pest. Well, you are coming across that way if you're using that language. If you're calling that out, I don't want to be a pest. So I, I teach women how to use their, how their words matter and how to use language that gets someone's attention, that doesn't diminish their credibility or their strength or power, that doesn't put them in a less than position, it puts them in an all equal position. What's so I tell them, skip that crap. You don't need to say, I know you're busy, that I don't wanna waste your time. I always say, if you wanna say that, go ahead and type it but delete it and then get to the meat of your message because you're not doing anybody any favors. So what are the, so what are the things you would, and, and I, I want to spend a little bit of time on this because I know this is, you know, you mentioned sort of offline, this is your big passion topic right now of like teaching people how to say the right stuff, right? What are some of the other wrong things we're saying in sales, whether you're a man or a woman? Oh, this is where is my favorite part of the conversation. Well, here's another one that I know men and women are, are using this, I should say, using it, abusing it, and overusing it. Because I read, whenever I start working with anyone, I always have them send me a lot of their messages or their prospecting messages, their email messages, because I want an, I want an, an understanding of their baseline. What, what are the words you're choosing now? What's the language you're using now? And I see this one all the time. I would love to set up a meeting with you. I would love to send you my calendar link. I would love to find out more about what you do. I'd love to set up a demo. And what people don't realize is, I would love is completely self-serving. I would love to meet with you so I can tell you something, is what the, uh, what the, other, the recipient is hearing. I would love to set up a time to chat with you. Of course you would. You want to sell me something. And it's not collaborative. It comes across extremely self-serving. And it's, in essence, you're telling me what you want to do. You have invited me into me wanting to do that. And what, and what would be a better way for everybody to rephrase that? All right. So I write about this a lot in my book. You can even say, are you open? Are you open to hopping on the phone and discussing this? What are your thoughts on grabbing a cup of coffee and talking about? How do you feel about getting together? What's your calendar look like? Don't make it about I, 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 because everyone thinks salespeople are self-centered to begin with. Why would you keep contributing to that? I want this and I'm reaching out to you because I want to set up a meeting. 
Doesn't that, that's very forceful versus saying, hey, Scott, are you open to hopping on the phone sometime in the next week or two to discuss your XYZ issue? That's an invitation. That is not me telling you, Scott, I'm going to send you my calendar. I, Thank you, Sue. We lost I respond, I respond very differently to those two messages. Right? So I, I completely agree with that. My, my response usually is, yeah, I'd be happy to talk to you. Uh, I'm booked for like two months. So if you want right. to talk in late September, I'm ready. And then, but, and then everybody gets mad at me. But if, if someone sent you an email with a message that slapped you with that verbal two by four, that someone that you go, wow, this person really knows my world or, oh, wow, this guy really understands the issues that are happening right now. I may give him 30 minutes of my time. But if you send me a message that says, hi, my name is, and we're the leader in this, and we can help you with that, and we're the best in this, I would love your time then salespeople wonder, why, why are people so rude? They're not getting back to me. Well, they're not getting back to me because of your shitty messages. That's why. I, I've, I've got about 3,000 of those sitting in my LinkedIn inbox, right? Exactly. Scott, though, you got to say, I read your book. I want to go surfing with you. And probably something about the Giants or the Buffalo Bills. I'm, I mean, that, that's a golden message for me, right? right? That, that, would, that would work. That, that would get you within the first 30 days instead of two months out. That's but right. seriously, there, certain messages will get someone's attention because if we can't get someone's attention, we'll never get their business. And you'll never get anyone's attention speaking like that to people, diminishing yourself, losing your credibility, and showing up as self-serving. So this is where people have to get off of autopilot and craft messages that actually have some meaning and some meat in there that would make someone want to be compelled to respond back. If you have to send a message that says, I sent you nine other emails, I'm not sure if you're getting them. If you have to say anything like that, what, you, what it's really saying is you're not saying anything that's getting my attention. Stop email me, emailing me and try to, to do something that grabs my attention. For, for the work that you do these days, what what is what are the channels that you use to you know drive new leads and and bring business to yourself? Are you email? Are you using the phone and cold calling people? Are you all over LinkedIn? What what works for you? Well, I would say pre-COVID, I was doing speaking all over the world, all over I shouldn't say the world, all over the U.S. and had a lot of speaking engagements on the books that were canceled. So I get in front of pretty good sized audiences and I get to speak this message into the audience and then invite people into a conversation if they want one. So that was one channel, but I do, do spend a lot of time on LinkedIn and from posting and, and reaching out to people and having conversations. But recently I just started doing something, it's only a week old, so I can't really talk about the results yet, but I invested in a artificial intelligence platform, if you will, that actually gives me real time emails of people that, uh, emails that have been vetted and tested. So I'm just not sending a bunch of emails out to people not knowing if they're gonna land in their inbox. But what I'm doing, and I'm taking my time doing it, is I'm only sending out 25 emails a day to let's say my focus last week was to divorce attorneys. That's one of the areas, practice areas I work in with attorneys. And I went to each website. It, from this platform, you click a button and it opens their website. From this platform, I can email the managing partner. From this platform, I can check out every one of their social media, uh, pr their presence. 
And then from that, I can craft an email that, that makes it look like this lady knows me. And it has been joyful to send emails that I know that I took a little bit of time to get to know that person, just a little bit. Sometimes you can't find a lot on a managing partner of a law firm, but I can get just enough to put that in that message, crafted enough where it lands to the meat of the problem and right in their inbox. Now, I've, I've sold very recently to attorneys and lawyers. We, my, my last company that I was working at full-time as an operator sold settlement software to oh. title insurance companies as well as real estate attorneys. Mm -hmm. What do people need to know out there who are selling to lawyers and attorneys of all types that they don't know or that they're getting wrong right now? And, and it's not just with attorneys. It's I don't care if you're a web designer or if you're a consultant. It's 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 sending messages or speaking the not speaking the language of your ideal client. So for example, I'm not going to send an email to a, a an attorney, whether it's a divorce attorney or personal injury, talking about myself. I'm not going to get anywhere talking about myself. I first know the issues, problems, dilemmas, headaches, heartaches, and challenges that I know divorce attorneys have right now in the moment. And I know that because I'm working with enough of them to find out. They are challenged with virtual consultations. No more meeting people in person who are going through a divorce. How do you read body language? How do you read what's happening to that other individual when all you can see is their collarbone up? So I know that that's a challenge for them. So I went in with my messaging knowing that that's a challenge. And I got a few messages back saying, oh my gosh, you boy, do you know our world or that's exactly what's happening. I don't know how much business we've lost since COVID because of this. So I go, and again, whether you're a web designer or a consultant, you better know the issues that your ideal client is having and that's what you speak to. That's the virtual two by four. It's like you're, you're a fly in their office because you know exactly, you've been there long enough to know what they're struggling with. How did you, how did you key in on attorneys? Where, where did you? Oh, that was divine. I was speaking at a women's conference and there happened to be a, ma a manager of a law firm here in Denver in the audience. And she came up to me at the end and she said, you're not going to believe this. And I, every time someone says that to me, I just, I get chills because I know, hang on to your hair because something's going to happen here. And she said, just yesterday, we were talking about how crappy our attorneys are at closing. But my talk was on opening is the new closing and how I talked about that the close naturally happens when you do everything else well, when you communicate in such a way that people lean into you, not back away. And she said, do you think you could work with our attorneys? And, you know, of course, any good salesperson says yes first, and then you figure it out later. And, and that's what I did. I said, oh, of course I can, I can do that. And that was my first shot into working with nine, nine divorce attorneys at, in one shot. And it was scary. I didn't know if I could pull it off. But what I realized at the end of that three-day training was, oh my gosh, I'm teaching the same exact stuff as I would teach anybody else. I just had, there was some different nuances and some different parts and pieces that I had to tweak. But once I got that and really saw the results from that, that's when I realized there was a niche there that I hadn't even tapped into. But it was divine. It, I didn't think, I wasn't thinking about working with attorneys. It wasn't until she showed up and poked me on my shoulder. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going through that with a law firm right now. Um, 
so I, I, I'm seeing the same thing. So it's, it's yeah. to, to go through all of that. Um, I want to shift a little bit because, you know, you've talked about it in terms of, uh, you know, women in sales and supporting that. What do you, I'm curious as to what do you think is preventing women from going into sales? How can we be better at it? How can men be better at supporting women in sales or encouraging women to go in sales? Like, so we can sort of start in the beginning, but, but I'd like to go down this path with you because obviously you have a perspective different than Scott and I for obvious mm -hmm. reasons. So, you know, what do you think pre prevents people, prevents anyone, but, but maybe particularly women from mm -hmm. wanting to go into sales? First and foremost is the thought process and who they believe they have to turn into to be a salesperson. They think that they've got to have skin as thick as a rhinoceros. They think they have to have all these uh, tactics under their belt of how do I manipulate someone? That's their mindset. They think that there's an actual, that old school mindset around sales that you've got to be tough as nails. Don't take no for an answer and push, 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 push. Well, that, that maybe that's 1980s style selling. You have a choice. So I tell men or women, you have a choice in how you want to show up in any aspect of your life, whether it's your dating life, your relationships, your children, how you show up in your business. First, you have to figure out that you're, first and foremost, you're the person that's going to decide, who do I want to be? How do I want to talk to people? But it's getting yourself right first before you can do anything for anybody else. If you hate, tell yourself, I hate to sell, well, then don't go into sales. Get your mindset right first before you even think about learning skills. What, and one of the things, though, that, that someone might want to think about, oh, if I like, and you know, we understand some of the, you know, if you're competitive and you played sports and, you yeah. know, we get that. What are some of the other things in the mindset that maybe people might think, oh, I didn't realize that meant I would be good at sales? The ability to listen, the ability to really listen, not just listen for, oh, that's a buying sign. Let me, let me now step on the gas and sell. The ability to go deeper, the, the ability to actually be with another human being who may be in a really bad spot. How do you uh, sit with someone when they're struggling, when they're, they're calling you because they're struggling most of the time? And how do you stay in that position long enough? A lot of people want to rescue and they, they have that need to be liked. So, and that's another aspect of sales. If you have a need to be liked, that could get in the way of success. So they want to rush into helping someone and their helping comes across like you're trying to sell me something. So it's, it's the dance of, how do you listen long enough to understand that you really got what's going on and then be able to say, I have a solution that may be able to help you. And I feel like, I feel like women are way more naturally geared towards that than men. Right. I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I am a, uh, going through a 12 step problem program of, of trying to stop solving every party's problem. <laughs> I'm trying to be a fixer, right. Stop trying to fix it. Just, yeah. you know. um, and, and the more I've studied that, the better I've gotten at listening. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's still kind of chronic. <laughs> you know? Well, I think right now we're hearing a little bit of the old school selling and then the new school selling. Some old stuff is still there and then some new methodologies are here. And, and the blending of both of them haven't really officially melded well together yet. There's still a little bit of that, sorry to bother you type crap that's still out there. I would love to meet with you versus the, the modern stuff that 
where you have technology now as your friend, but how do you use it in a way that helps you? Stop bringing in the old school stuff in with the new school stuff. So you have technology, you have LinkedIn in front of you, yet you're using language from 1980. That's a problem. There's a clash. That doesn't work. So it's, it's figuring out first, do, do I want to be in sales? And if I do, who do I have to become to be that first? Not all the, the techniques on top, of, on top of that. It's getting yourself right and knowing who you want to be in that. It, like in a relationship, you look at what kind of person do I want to be in my next relationship? Let's say you just broke up or got a divorce. You don't want to go in with the same tools and skills as you had with the other one. You want to figure out what worked, what didn't, and who do I want to be next? We get to reinvent ourselves every single day. So what do you... So what advice is, you know, it, I, I love the fact that there's more women moving up into the corporate ladder, yep. but still not enough. What advice do you give to men in terms of supporting women in sales? Um, and, and again, it can also be non-gender specific, but mm -hmm. I, we know that this sort of happens in the sales world and other worlds. What advice could you give us? Good question. First, it... I know the sale is the end result, but there's a lot of different ways to get to that sale. And if, if you're on a team where there's men and women on that team, it's, it's allowing people to, take it, to take, find out their path, the best way that they can to get that sale. And it isn't all about push, 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 get on the phones, call those people, send another email. It's allowing that person to feel their way through it. And then when they need support in certain areas where they're maybe struggling through, then offer that support. But it isn't just that force, force, force. It's allowing someone to calibrate on their own what's their best plan and, and plan of attack moving forward. Great. What, um, what have you liked about being a, a, a female sales leader? I don't think we've ever talked about this with anybody. Like, There's something cool in my mind. Um, you know, When you see someone um, being successful. So what do you like about it? And, and again, you bring a different perspective than Scott and I might as a mm -hmm. quote unquote leader or guru or whatever people sort of call us. Uh, what have you liked about that part? Oh, I like that I can develop a stance for myself and a belief in what it is that I do, but, but how it is that I teach sales. So my stance that I take is a very firm stance that anybody can learn how to sell. Anybody can learn and anybody that, re that, that will resist it, says they hate it, doesn't want to do it, it's because there's something blocking them and that's usually internally. It's not a program, it's, it's usually something inside of them that's holding them back and a lot of times it's fear. So for me, it's, it's knowing that when you know how to sell and sell well and do it in a way from your heart, not your head, when you can develop that, there's, there's no stopping you. You can create your own paycheck, your own income, knowing that no matter what happens in any economy, you have a skill set that will always be needed. You have to be able to move your products and services. And it's, it's knowing that skill set that allows you to stay in business during any type of economy, the good, the bad, and right now it's super ugly. You, you've been running your own business for 16 plus years, I think now. Yep. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and you've, I'm sure you've seen some ups and downs and, and whatnot. How, how would you advise somebody like me who got into business for myself in October, right? And so this is, this is my first year, calendar uh -huh. year for me that I'm in business for myself and I'm right in the middle of all this stuff. 
how do you know when it's time to kind of double down and, and push a little harder versus, you know, kind of just be happy where you're at and maintain right now versus scale back a little bit. And, and how do you, how do you mentally prepare yourself for the peaks and valleys that are, that are likely to come? And that, that's where that mindset comes in, that growth mindset and not that scarcity mindset. And usually when I'm working, I'm, when I'm working with, I don't work with big organizations. So maybe 12 people at a time could be the largest organization I work with or a lot of individual stuff. And when they were hit in with COVID in five, what, four or five months ago, this was a chance to pull back scale back, do nothing, don't spend any money, don't do anything, just wait, wait for the storm to pass. And they go into that mindset. And when they're there, it's to catch them sooner rather than later. So sooner before they go down that rabbit hole and start making stupid decisions. For example, I had three clients come to me and say, right, right when this happened, oh my gosh, it couldn't have been three, four days into the lockdown. I want to create a program and I want to, I want to get something online within the next few weeks. And they were rushing to do a program like the whole world was doing, right? They were all trying to get online and all trying to get their programs online. But what they were doing, they were just rushing to do something with the wrong mindset and the wrong energy behind it. So it's, it's when you're, well, you have an energy coming behind you of, oh my God, I have to do this to survive. You can't create anything beautiful in those when you're just trying to survive. So talking them down from the ledge first, figuring out what do you want to put out in the world? Do you want to put out a piece of shit because you pushed something to make it happen? Or do you want to pull back a little bit, figure out your next good, next, next best step? Or do you just want to push because you're afraid? So it's identifying what's that energy in your body right now? What's happening? Are you scared to death or are you excited? Because if you're excited, we're going to go in a different direction. But if you're scared to death, I tell people to stop and don't do anything. That's interesting. That's, that's really good, good advice. We're, um, we're wrapping up right now, getting to the end of our, of our time together. We always like to say, hey, how can we help you? How can we support you and what you're doing? You have any questions for us or is there something you want to promote so this is your uh, your time to to ask us anything well thank you i would say to you if you ever come across anybody who says i love what i do but i hate to sell that would be a perfect person for me to talk to and i think everything starts with a great conversation so if somebody is struggling with that and i hear it all day every day they they people build businesses and they love what they do but they truly hate the process of what it means, what, what they have to go through to get a sale because of their mindset. Do you support, do you coach individuals also as well as? Yes, Okay, I do. make sure yes. people know that. So where can people find you the easiest? Then, if the they easiest would be right to my website, lizwenling.com. Cool, Liz Wenling, or I would assume LinkedIn, you probably are. As, and LinkedIn as well and Amazon, either one. And everything we talked about today is in the pages of two books. So if you want more. Awesome. Um, you know, next time we have you, we, we, we'd like you to talk a little bit more and really share your passion and feelings. You know, <laughs> you've been like, this is probably Scott and I, we always have these conversations about, wow, these are really easy conversations. Yours is one of those easy conversations. <laughs> it, it's like jumping through you know, and all that stuff. So we really, <laughs> 
the time. I love sales. I do. I do. And I love teaching it. I do. Thank you. You made it very easy to allow me to bring out my passion. I appreciate you both allowing me to do that today. That was a lot of fun. Thanks, Liz. Yeah. And we got to just give a quick shout out to our, our uh, sponsor, Lead411, um, who can help you find direct dial phone numbers as well as excellent intent data. And they have a slick Chrome plugin. Uh, that can use with LinkedIn. So please check out Lead411. But Liz, we look forward to having you back again soon. I appreciate it. I know you're two, two months booked out. You're busy, guys. Right. You'll have, <laughs> it's okay, Liz. You'll have written like three new books by the time we'll be back. My fingers are on hiatus. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Richard. And thank you, Scott. All the best. All right.